Welcome to another episode of The Den Tapes. I am Tony, your host. So go ahead. Let's uh, get you nice and comfy and see if we can give you a case of the heebie-jeebies. This week's episode will contain some content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Today's story is called In Terms of Now and Then. Part 1. Now. The neon sign of the burger joint down the block cut through the night sky, illuminating the smoke being put off by his cigarette. The streetlights across from his house shot beams down onto the sidewalk as if they had been painted by some brilliant artist centuries gone. Covington was alone on the porch, talking out loud to no one, wishing that someone, her, was there to hear him. Escaping from the heat inside the house, merely to find himself doing nothing more than whispering into the air in front of his lips, hoping she could hear him. Old homes like Covington's did not have any source of cooling other than a few window units, rendered useless once the power went out, just like it had a few hours prior when his block and one street over went dark. There was no power here while the rest of the city was lit up and churning with activity. His old brick facade acted more like a pizza oven than it did a comforting abode during the summer heat. At 1 a.m. on a Friday night, his tiny part of town was abundant with nightlife. Nightlife he had partaken in a few hours earlier by sitting at the Fox Hollow, downing shots of whiskey, something he continued to do when he returned home until the power went out. He could hear the laughter and music reverberating from the burger joint where the illuminations of purple and yellow originated two blocks over. The lights, the music, the laughter. All angered him that his power was off, but not theirs. Groups of bicycling bar hoppers would whiz past while howling about the night's shenanigans. He yearned for the nights when he and Beverly would hop on their roadsters, weaving in and out of the roads in town. He rubbed his eyes and thought back to their first date, what seemed like decades earlier. He had formed a crush on Beverly, Bev, known to her friends, over a rousing bout of dice at the Fox Hollow. He was low on cash that night, but she was eager to play. They wagered on either him taking her out to a movie once payday hit, or her buying his next round. She masterfully won the game in order to get that movie date. At first, Beverly was nothing more than a drinking buddy that he had a crush on. But once they went to see that film, things changed. They whisked each other off their feet with common interests in music and hopes for a society that offered universal health care. Through deep conversation, they found that they both had a sense of romance that was rooted in carnal attraction, but flourished with vigorous intellect. Beverly was worried that they were going to sleep together and things would become weird. 
Covington was hoping they'd make love all night and profess a lifelong partnership the following morning when they awoke next to each other. After the movie, after burgers, after a nightcap drink at the Fox Hollow, he found himself shaking from the nerves, standing over his bike outside of her apartment building, saying goodbye. She had her hands clasped around his waist, looking up at him with those wonderful blue eyes of hers. When she leaned in for a kiss, he nearly melted where he stood. She giggled at him and whispered in his ear, You should come up. Her apartment was on the third floor, she explained as she pushed the call button for the elevator. The ride-up was filled with blatant flirtations, bashful smiles, and charming one-liners that put Covington at ease. The keys jangled from her pocket, her eyes were filled with excitement, and her voice was welcoming as she waved for him to enter behind her. As she poured a couple of glasses of wine, her head bobbed to the side, ushering him into the bedroom. What happened that night was far from what Beverly had expected and hit the nail on the head as far as what Covington had hoped for. The following morning, Covington rose from Beverly's bed to see her radiating with pure joy as she maneuvered around her small kitchen preparing breakfast and brewing coffee. He remembered feeling that something had been set in motion, a beginning that would ultimately have an end neither of them saw coming. In terms of now and then, that near-perfect evening and that magical morning after, he would trade to still have her. The memory faded as the unbearable heat made Covington think about removing his shirt. He wiped the sweat from his cheeks and leaned back in the wicker chair. That old wood moaned and creaked as he wiggled to get comfortable. A breeze blew over him and for the first time all night he felt cool enough to sleep. With hands on both armrests, he lifted himself up and scurried to the door. As he steadied his stance with the doorknob, he heard a girl laugh in the distance. It sounded like Beth, but there was no way it could be her. Not after what had happened. There was no way in hell that it could be her across the street, gleefully enjoying her night. Even if it was her, Covington hoped she wouldn't blatantly mock his current state of mind. Would she just stand directly in front of him and let him know she was just fine? Even better than fine, actually, that she was better off without him. Somehow, some way, had she come back here just to drive the final nail into what would be his inevitable coffin. He chuckled at himself and pulled on the screen door. The sound it made mimicked the laughter in the distance. The spring itself seemed to chuckle at him as well. Maybe the whole world was laughing at him. If it was, deep down he knew he deserved it. He deserved much worse than being made the butt of jokes, something far more punishing. Maybe, just maybe, he was smack dab in the middle of such a punishment. Covington was under the impression he deserved a death doled out by a firing squad. Or did he? Beverly's sister sure thought so. Beverly's friends definitely scowled at the thought of him living a full and successful life when Beverly could not. He had gone for help that day. He was sure he had made the right decision, no matter how hard it had been. Even a few of Covington's friends kept telling him there might not be a way to move on easily, especially not in the same home that he and Bev had shared. With a racing mind, the prospect of sleep was moving farther and farther away from him. 
he made a motion to at least try and begin his before-bed rituals. Brushing his teeth, he stared at himself in the mirror. He saw nothing but a shell of what he used to be. The swagger was gone. That handsome, rugged face he once had was now sunken with sleepless eyes and covered with a beard that had not been trimmed. Graying hairs speckled throughout. His fingers gripped either side of the sink as he looked deep into his own eyes, gloomily searching for some remnants of a soul, any sign of life. The lights above the sink flickered, and the 30-year-old refrigerator kicked on a room over. The sudden burst of light and jarring sound of the radio he had been listening to before the block went dark nearly gave Covington a heart attack. He slowed his breathing and sat on the edge of the tub with his face in his hands, elbows on his knees. He shook from what he assumed was a panic attack, but it felt like much more, something malevolent, dark, and seeping with fear. I've got to get the fuck out of here, he whispered to himself. It was Beverly's distorted, angry voice. It filled the air in the bathroom and shook the floor beneath his feet. He knew his mind was playing tricks on him. It had been for a while. The events of that day playing on a loop as the background of his everyday thoughts. Recently, it was unrelenting, damaging Covington to his core, whittling away at what little mental stability he still had hold of. He stood quickly and yelled, Leave me alone! If it was my fault! He began to weep. <laughs> Let me live with it. The lights flickered again. The refrigerator went silent. The radio died. Again, Covington found himself in putrid heat and deafening darkness. Sweat dripping from his nose, hair drenched, body shaking. The voice came lightly through the house and then exploded into an ear-crushing scream. He fell to his knees, pleaded, tears rolling down his face. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me be. Please, Beverly, please. He softly said into his hands as they covered his face. The buzz of the voice reverberated in his head. It echoed throughout the house. He mumbled through damp lips. Please. Leave me to my own devices. It's hard enough without you haunting me. A cool breeze lifted the curtain of the window in the dining room, and Bev's voice fell silent. Covington collapsed onto his side as the house came back to life. The hum of the refrigerator, the AC unit rattling as it kicked on, the low buzz of the light fixture overhead. Radio in the bathroom pumping classic rock. All these things were comforts in that moment. He rolled onto his knees and for the first time in what seemed an entire lifetime, he felt the urge to pray. Not because he had a resurgence of faith, but for the comfort that some higher power could help him. He had felt useless, unworthy of life, and downright haggard for nearly two years now. In this moment, all of those feelings were at their pinnacle. The need to pray faded, and thirst caused a tingling in his throat, paired with an awful, musty dryness in his mouth. 
The only help he was to find was in the bottom of a tall glass of ice water, followed by a large gulp of cheap whiskey he had bought at the corner store. Covington stared out of the window over the kitchen sink, allowing the whiskey to burn on its way down and explode in his stomach. Penance of some sort, he thought. The glow from the streetlights danced on the blades of grass, leaves in the trees, and the rocks beyond the terrace where he and Beverly had made plans for what ended up being the last outing she would ever go on. The memory rushed in. The two of them cuddled on the bench beneath the overgrowth of vines and summer flowers. Man, it's gorgeous out tonight, Covington muttered. His tumbler of iced $100 scotch met his lips as the statement came to a close. You're gorgeous. A truly magnificent specimen of the male homo sapien. Bev giggled through her compliment. She rubbed her hand along his forearm and gazed up at the clear, star-filled sky. Here in the now, Covington looked down at his arm. Goosebumps formed, and a chill took over his shoulders. Then another flash of Beverly, her eyes welling with tears, fear enveloping the tone of her voice, sternly pleading for Covington to stay with her, the darkness around them dimly lit by their headlamps, the near-blinding light from the screen of his phone as he desperately tried to shake service into the device. The bottle of whiskey next to him toppled over, bringing him back to reality. Off the counter and onto the floor, landing at his feet, as if it knew Covington wasn't done guzzling down shots. He rubbed his face, massaged his eyes, and bent over to retrieve the bottle. During the blur before his eyes adjusted, he looked out through the window again and swore he saw Beverly sitting on the bench, patting the wood of the empty space next to her, beckoning him to join. Her voice rang quieter this time, almost as if she was behind him, whispering in his ear, He felt anger swelling deep within him. Enough! Covington was surprised at the firmness in his own voice. Bev's presence faded and the hum of the refrigerator soothed him. Something real, something normal. He sauntered into the dining room and stood at the table. With one hand, he pulled a chair out, and with the other, he cleared a space in the piles of mail, empty bags from the corner store, and various other things he had tossed there. He crossed his arms on the table and rested his forehead like a child in homeroom. Considering how the night had gone, it was the most comfortable he had felt since he first sat atop the barstool at the Fox Hollow. He could have sworn he felt a hand caress the back of his neck while fingers ran through his hair, just like Bev used to do to help him go to sleep each night. The next morning, Covington awoke with a stinging pain in his shoulder and a stiff neck. At least I got some sleep, he thought. The sunlight, peeking through the gap in the curtains, gave him a sense of hope that today would be a better day. Freshly showered with breakfast eaten, he made his way to work. The engine of his faded maroon Volvo puttered at the first stoplight at the corner of Rock and Garnett. His eyes affixed on the word, Rock. His head began to swim. Flashes of the word in Bev's bloody leg caused him to miss the fact that the light had turned green. 
His floaty daydream state was broken by the sound of a horn blaring from the truck behind him. In a hurry, he pulled on to Garnett and finished the short drive to the converted warehouse where he sat atop a rolling stool in front of a tilted desk and spent his time drafting overpriced designs for rude, overzealous developers. It was a job that once inspired happiness and passion within him. Now it was nothing more than just a paycheck to acquire the necessary expenses to survive. Water, power, whiskey. Above his desk on a shelf overlooking the entire room sat a leather-bound portfolio with various mock-ups of the dream home he had planned to build for Beverly. An updated mid-century modern haven constructed from the bones of a rundown roadside motel on the outskirts of town. He had been putting away money, paying off all his credit cards, and keeping a great credit score in order to buy the building when the market plateaued, and when they were ready to be married. But now the plans were nothing more than sketches and scribbled equations of a life that was unattainable. Another ghost that haunted his everyday existence. That book towering over him from the shelf, above his drafting desk, looming, watching his every action from the time he sat down until the time he left for home. The only god that ruled his world was the entity pulsing from those pages and it was a vengeful ruler wrought with emotional violence. Covington attempted on many occasions to toss the book into the trash. Once he found himself holding a small bottle of lighter fluid over it, but shaking too badly to pop the top. The cracked leather of his stool top creaked as he sat, his eyes not leaving the faded black cover of that menacing relic on the shelf. The hope he had felt earlier that morning faded as his concentration left the shelf while he rolled out the current project he needed to finish. With his phone connected to the speakers hung in the corners above him, he pressed play on the same playlist he listened to every day, his pencil gliding over the paper, forming a perfect 90-degree angle, words describing the materials to be used during construction, noting the most expensive option as the best. A knock came on the doorframe. Hey, Covington. I have a guy in the lobby who wants to chat with you uh, about a job. Says you came highly recommended to him. Without turning to the door, he replied, Uh, I'll be there in a minute, finishing this up. Then I'll be right down. Covington waved a hand in the air, motioning towards the lobby. The scrawny, fuzzy chin, 20-something muttered, Okay, I'll, I'll let him know. Covington could hear the heels of the kid's $500 handmade vegan leather boots scoot along the tiles as he walked away. Covington rolled up the project, slipped a rubber band around it, and placed it in the holder at the edge of his desk, along with the other tubes of hopeful bids. He glanced up at the book on the shelf, then down at his phone. That word again displayed on the screen, causing him to descend into a daydream state. Once again, a flash of Bev writhing with fear. Once again, blood dripping along the surface of a boulder. Rock my world was the song that was playing as he pulled his phone close in order to pause the playlist. A text popped up on the screen, bringing him back to reality. He says he's in a rush. It was the receptionist. Why did I give that little shit my number? Covington scolded himself as another thought of Bev ran through his mind. This time, her smile, but accusatory. Her saying, Come on, man, he looks up to you. Text the kid back. Tell him you'd love to come. 
and don't forget to ask if you can bring your very attractive fiance to show off. She was talking about when the receptionist boy had invited Cummington to his holiday party. Also, stop calling him receptionist boy. He's an intern. Stop being a turd to him. Jesus, Covington. Covington smirked. Here in the now, out loud, he answered her, just as he did when she reprimanded him. Okay, I will try, my extremely attractive fiancé. Covington texted the intern back. On my way down, suit or jeans? This was an inside joke he had garnered with the intern. Suit being someone seemingly corporate, and jeans seemingly being someone blue-collar. Jeans, he read on his phone screen as he descended the stairs onto the mezzanine level. He waved a few hellos and nodded a few what's-ups as he rounded the final flight to the lobby. The intern stood from behind the desk. Uh, Mr. Latt, this is Covington, our best in the firm by far. Covington shot a look at the kid, letting him know to cut the bullshit. He extended his hand and was met with a firm but gentle handshake. Uh, Mr. Latt, what can I do for you? Covington motioned towards a room with a drafting table inside where bids with potential clients was commonly used to solidify deals. No, it's a fairly odd request, Mr. Latt said as he followed Covington into the room and took off his hat, rolling the bill and stuffing it into his back pocket. Covington offered him a stool and slid himself on top of the other. Mr. Ladd explained, uh, I need some reinforcement posts placed in a naturally existing structure on my land. Covington raised an eyebrow. Naturally existing structure? Mr. Latt scratched the side of his face and thought about how he was going to answer the question. Uh, a cave. I have a cave on my land up in the hills. It's uh, an old mine shaft uh, and I can't for the life of me keep my damn kid and her friends from wandering around in there. Last week, they nearly got caught up at a rock slide. Covington, clearly shaken, stood up and put his hands on his hips. He swayed angrily. Who put you up to this? Was it the family's lawyer? Was it Franny? A look of shock washed over Mr. Latt's face. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mr. Latt stood and met Covington's eyeline. His hat fell to the floor and he nearly stepped on it. If this is some sort of prank, I'm likely to lose my job right now right here and now. Do you understand me? Covington said firmly as his hands balled into fists. Mr. Latt raised his hands in order to calm Covington. I assure you this is not a joke. Why in the world would you assume this is a joke? And then Mr. Latt's look of confusion turned to one of clarity. You are that Beller guy. You're Covington Beller. I am so sorry. I should have asked for someone else. I can see now how this would seem like a jab at you. Covington smirked with displeasure and spouted off. Come on, Mr. Latt. How many Covingtons have you known? It's not a very common name around here. Mr. Latt sat again as he bent over to pick up his hat, placing it on a knee instead of his pocket. Sit down, please. There's, there's no reason for this to turn violent. Something in Mr. Latt's tone and the way he gave up and just sat down made Covington immediately feel embarrassed. A knot, shameful and churning, formed in his stomach. As he sat, he offered his apologies. Mr. Latt, I... I am so sorry. Since all that happened, I guess I haven't really had a chance to grapple with the aftermath. You see, her sister, Franny, has been just a giant pain in the ass about this whole thing. She hired a lawyer, more like a private investigator, I guess, to make me out to be some sort of villain. The whole situation is completely fucked. Pardon my French. Mr. Latt waved off Covington's foul-mouthed comment. 
Uh, again, Mr. Beller Covington, I, I, I should have done my homework. Coming here like this was clearly a mistake. Mr. Latt stood. Covington rubbed his thighs with both hands. No, hold on. I just acted like a maniac. I apologize for that. The least I could do is take on this job for you. Maybe deep down this can be some sort of healing process for me. Mr. Latt nodded and ensured Covington once more that he had no intention of opening old wounds. To which Covington replied, uh, That wound is wide open. Between you and me, it should probably be amputated. Another firm but gentle handshake was exchanged as Covington stood. They then made plans to meet and go over particulars. On his way back to the front desk, the intern stood again and asked, Are you okay, dude? Covington leaned against the desk. Yeah, just something weird happened. I thought maybe Franny was fucking with me again. The intern placed a hand on Covington's shoulder. Anything you need, you just let me know, Covey. Covington shook his head. He hated it when he called him Covey. And he replied, Ah, thanks. Maybe a drink after work? I did promise Bev I would be nicer to you. You little shit. They both laughed as Covington made his way up the stairs to his third floor office. Another rush of Beverly took over his mind. He'll be super excited to drink top shelf whiskey with the best damn architectural drafter in this town, Covey. Covington smiled as he remembered her saying it while she was getting ready for the intern's holiday party, sliding an earring into her left lobe as she smirked at him through her reflection in the mirror. As he returned to his office, Covington reached up and grabbed the portfolio from the shelf. He leafed through it as he paced back and forth through his office. The warmth of the sun felt calming as it came through the floor-to-ceiling windows on the west-facing side of the room. He sighed and closed it gently. It made a crumpled thudding sound as he tossed it into the trash bin, landing on top of discarded drawings. Part 2 then. Beverly yawned. She tried to roll Covington over. She leaned down over his shoulders as she sat up in bed and whispered in his ear, Get up, lazy ass. It's time to go exploring. Covington moaned. He tried to scoot away from her, but she kept whispering, Maybe we'll find Batman. You would love that. But which one do you think we would find? I'm hoping for Keaton. Covington rolled from his stomach onto his side and looked up at Beverly. Deep in his sleepy mind, he could not believe he had landed a life with the woman of his dreams. He caressed her face. I used to think I'd never find the woman of my dreams, but once I met you, I realized I had been dreaming about the wrong woman. You know, she probably isn't as big of a pain in the ass as you turned out to be. Oh, and also, we all know Bale was the best Batman. She laughed and replied, I know, I know, that I'm a pain. Jury is out on Bale being the best, though. If I didn't annoy the shit out of you, I'm sure you'd never get up and do anything with your days. They wrestled their way out of bed and began their Saturday morning routine. They skipped showers because of how dirty they expected to get on their adventure, opting to clean up when they returned home. Each Saturday, Beverly dragged Covington out of the house to go explore some part of nature. We have this beautiful land all around us and all you want to do is sit and scroll on a screen? She would say as he turned up his nose at whatever the next trip entailed. This morning, she was hellbent on the fact that Covington needed to wear the correct footwear. Boots, thick, with good ankle support. Sometimes she barked orders like a drill sergeant. Covington would never admit it, but it was kind of a turn on. 
Being bossed around by a strong woman like that made him want to skip the whole day and spend it in bed with her. Over breakfast, she mapped out the day's activities. So it takes about 40 minutes to get out there. Then it's a 20 minute hike and I figure we can spend the entire morning in there, come back to the car for lunch, then the best part of the day, we can swing around to the south side of the mountain where the secluded lake is and maybe go skinny dipping. Her foot from under the table caressed the inside of his thigh. Uh, you keep that up, we won't make it out of the house. He said as he set his fork down. Their eyes met and they both smirked. The gravel under the tires popped and shuddered as they pulled into the lot at the bottom of the trail. The sun was up in the mid-morning sky, already burning hot. The temperature will be much cooler inside once we get in there, I promise, Bev assured him. After double-checking supplies, they hit the trail. Somehow, Beverly was always way ahead of Covington when they hiked. Despite her much shorter stature, she covered more ground than he could. When they got to the mouth of the cave, Beverly tossed Covington a headlamp. Ah, I feel silly wearing this damn thing. He rolled his eyes as he slipped it over his head. It's better than carrying a flashlight. You want your hands free in case you take a tumble. Again with her drill sergeant tone. Well, you lead the way. Let's go. Covington ushered her into the cave first. Jesus, your ass looks great in those pants. He slyly mentioned while giving her a little pat on the right cheek. Beverly laughed. Keep your eyes on the surroundings, not my stellar behind, dummy. Again with the bossiness. Hey, uh, have you ever had sex in a cave? The way Covington asked made Beverly cackle. Oh, my dear sweet soon-to-be husband, the last thing we need in a cave like this is for me to be moaning and screaming. He groaned with exaggerated disappointment. When they got to the first cavern, Covington was astonished at how such a large opening could exist inside a seemingly solid mountain. Man, this is stunning, he said lightly, almost whispering as he sat next to her on a stone the size of their Volvo that was parked at the bottom of the trail. And to think all you wanted to do was lay in bed all day. She twisted the top off of her water tin and offered him a drink. She leaned in and whispered, See that over there? That's where we are heading. We have to be very careful because I read that beyond this cavern, sounds can heavily reverberate and basically wreak havoc. Covington nodded in response, letting her know he understood. She leaned back. Your phone's on airplane mode, right? I don't think there is a signal anywhere in here, but just in case, at least have it on silent. Again, he nodded. She snapped her water tin back onto her belt, and they stood. Covington found himself astonished once more at the sheer size of the cave. He followed Beverly up a slight incline and then through into the next tunnel. She stopped and held up a hand. Turning towards him, she beckoned him closer and whispered, There's a drop-off up here on the left. Be careful. A small rumble ran up the walls of the tunnel and a few specks of dust fell from above them. See, even speaking quietly can have that effect. She winked at him and held a finger up to her mouth, shushing him. She motioned to Covington that she would move forward first and that he should wait until she was clear of the drop-off. Then he could move forward. He watched as she carefully bounced her way along the farthest point up against the wall so she wasn't too close to the drop-off. As she turned to wave him across, she felt her belt nudge and then instantly get lighter. Covington saw her eyes widen as she reached to her side for her water tin, but it was too late. As if in slow motion, the tin bounced wildly in her right hand as it eluded her grip. When it hit the ground, it made a thunderous high-pitched ting. 
Beverly knelt down as quickly as she could and stopped it from causing any further noise. She held up her hand, letting Covington know to hold still. In the light of his headlamp, he saw her mouth the words, Don't move. They both didn't move a muscle. A few shakes and shudders pulsed through the tunnel. More dust fell from above. Covington's heart began to pound as he closed his eyes, fearing they were about to be caved in. To his surprise, the cave calmed and fell silent. Beverly made an over-exaggerated, that was too fucking close, face and waved him to come on down and meet her. She was kneeling, left leg behind her, right leg in front of her. Covington thought how she looked like a soldier waiting to jump up and charge into battle. Again, his mind raced with desire. Being distracted with the thought of cave sex, he wasn't paying attention to where he was stepping and put all of his weight down on an unstable rock. It slid from under him. The ground met his face and a flash of white. Then he went unconscious. He awoke what seemed like moments later, wondering why Beverly hadn't come to his aid. He rolled onto his back and brought his legs to his chest. His ankle was on fire, but it was not broken. Thank God for the ankle support in these boots, he thought. He turned to find Beverly. His headlamp was much dimmer than before, and he was sure the direction in which he was looking was correct. Then he heard her moan lightly. When he stood, the blood that had dried on his face tightened as he squinted to see the ground clearly. Slowly, he hobbled over to a huge boulder and rested his weight on it. The pain in his leg was fading, but still very much causing problems with his mobility. When he looked down, he saw blood dried onto the boulder and onto the floor of the tunnel. Following the blood, he came to find Beverly. She was lying on her stomach, with her left foot caught under a much smaller stone behind the boulder. Covington rushed down to her side. She was barely conscious. Using her water tin, he splashed her cheeks lightly and urged her to drink. At that moment, he realized he must have been unconscious from his fall much longer than he had originally thought. He could see she had lost a lot of blood, but not enough to be fatal. As she came to, she pleaded with him to help get the rock off her leg. Gauging their surroundings, he told her he didn't think it would be safe. The only way to roll it would be down over the drop-off, and that would cause another loud bang. That's when she told him the boulder rolled. That's when she told him the boulder had rolled and the stone fell on her leg when he had yelled in pain. You just laid there, screaming. You were unconscious, but you were screaming so loud. I tried to get to you, but the rocks fell and I couldn't. I couldn't get to you. She began sobbing and repeating, I couldn't, I couldn't get to you to make it stop. I, I couldn't, I just could not get to you. Covington pulled the few snacks they had from the bag he was carrying. Here, here, you need to eat. You've lost some blood. She turned her nose up and winced in pain. They're going to have to cut my leg off. Her headlamp flickered as she whispered the words. In that second, Covington knew he needed to go get help. He pulled his phone from the bag. He flipped it off airplane mode and watched as the service bars never appeared. Frustrated, he tried calling 911 anyway. Nothing. He shook it and smacked it with his other hand in hopes jarring it would get him some bars. Again, nothing. Look, I'm gonna leave these here with you. I'm gonna go get help. He laid the bag beside her. There are snacks and more water in there. Also backup batteries for the headlamp. 
I will be back as soon as I can, I promise. Beverly grabbed his arm. Her eyes were dark and scared. He had never seen her like this, and it broke his heart. Don't go. Please, please stay with me, Covey. I don't want to be in here alone. She squeezed his arm firmly. This once stern and courageous woman was now broken, fragile, and fearful. I don't want to die in here. I don't want to die in here. She put her other hand over her mouth to shield from how hard she was about to cry. The hand on his arm gripped even tighter. He brought his head down to hers and kissed her gently on the forehead. I'm going to get help. You will be out of here in the matter of no time, I promise. A feeling tugged at him. He felt the urge to roll the stone off her leg anyway and carry her out of there. But fearing that would do more damage, he silenced that urge and stood. With her arms outreached, she pleaded with him again. Look, look, drink water and just eat some snacks, I promise you. He leaned down once more. I will be back with help. When he looked back at her from across the tunnel, it ate at him how scared she looked. Wanting to go back to her, to save her, to carry her out of there like some heroic giant of myth. But he turned and limped as quickly as he could back the way they had came. When he reached the mouth of the cave, he checked his phone again. There was just enough service for him to call 911. He explained the situation as calmly as he could and hobbled his way to the Volvo. It was an hour before help arrived. They put him in the back of an ambulance and began to check over him. Nasty sprain you've got. I'll get you wrapped up. Don't worry about your girlfriend. Covington interrupted the paramedic. Fiance, she's my fiance. An hour later, when the rescue team came off the trail without Beverly, Covington became hysterical. Where is she? Where is she? Come on, man, tell me where she is. He kept yelling, demanding answers. A deputy with a caring but sad look on his face guided Covington back to the Volvo where he leaned against the hood. The man explained, Son, she's gone. It looks as if the rock that was pinning her down rolled off the ledge. With the amount of dried blood sticking to her and the rock, she went with it over the side. We are waiting for an extraction team to retrieve her. I think it might be best if you weren't here when that happens. Part 3. Now. Covington sat back and looked at the mock-up of the support system he had sketched out for Mr. Latt's cave. <sighs> Naturally existing structure. He muttered to himself. He looked up at the shelf. The portfolio was back. As much as he tried to dispose of the life he yearned for but could never have, he found himself digging in the dumpster the day after he tossed it away. Before the trash was dumped for good, he was elbow deep in slowly expiring lunches and your run-of-the-mill office waste. Taking one last scrutinizingly harsh look over the plans for Mr. Latt's cave, he felt confident that what he had designed would be the perfect fix. He even threw in a few sketches of how to rig lighting throughout. He dolled those up with drawings of a few tables that could host farm-to-cave dinners. Covington planned on pitching that Mr. Latt could market the cave as a venue to host parties. He felt good about the work he had done. And it turns out he was right that day when he told Mr. Latt that working on his project could give him a sense of healing. He had slept well and hadn't been drinking as much since he began the work, meaning the haunting mind tricks of seeing and hearing Bev 
had ceased as well. When he was drawing up the idea for the cave becoming a venue, the vision of he and Beverly having their reception there made him smile. Looking down at his phone, he noted that he had a little over two hours before Mr. Latt was coming to look over the plans. Covington texted the intern. Want to grab some lunch? The intern responded with a craving of a good burger. That's perfect, I know just the place, Covington replied. While munching down on his burger, he listened as the intern badmouthed Beverly's sister. Franny is just so entangled in, you know, her consumption of true crime stuff. I think she just wants her sister's death, you know, like penned on somebody instead of it being an accident. Clearly in all those cases she dives into on her podcasts and her Reddit feed, the husband is the one that's always to blame. Covington held up a finger and finished chewing his bite. Mm, hey, we weren't married yet. She was just my fiance. But I do agree with you, however. Franny and that PI she hired have just got the the whole thing all wrong. I mean, I loved Beth dearly. You know, I thought I'd found my life partner. I, you know, wanted to have this boring kind of life of just being married and happy and, you know, building our dream home. The intern unintentionally interrupted. I, I mean, I, yeah, I know. You have those plans for the dream home on your, like right above your desk. I see it every day. Covington stopped and looked at the kid. He tried not to sound annoyed, but it fed through his words. Hey, man, please don't go through my shit. <sighs> I mean, besides, I need to get rid of that thing anyway. It makes me sad and just fucks up my day every time I look at it. But anyway, man, hey, check it out. Mr. Lat will be in this afternoon, probably right after lunch. I'll have you start working with him on, on all the paperwork. All right, does that sound good? The intern's face brightened up. Oh, oh thanks, man. I really... Really appreciate you letting me work alongside you. Covington held up a finger one more time. Hey, it's just paperwork, kid. You're not sitting at a drafting table quite yet. And I mean yet. The kid smiled and took another bite of his burger. Another flash of Bev in the very chair where the kid was currently sitting ran through Covington's mind. Hey, he just wants to be like you. Why shouldn't he? You're pretty awesome if I have anything to say about it. She said as she dipped french fries into some ketchup. You know, this was one of our favorite spots to have lunch, Covington said out loud, staring out the window, not really talking to the kid, but the kid answered. I mean, I can see why, man, this burger is delicious. Thanks for showing me this place. A week later, Covington found himself sitting at the Fox Hollow, reminiscing about when he lost that fateful dice game and had to take some quirky girl on a movie date. He was there with the intern. Ah, oh, man, so many memories here. Covington used a finger to run along the rim of his cocktail glass. You know, she whipped my ass in a game of dice right over at that table. Because, um, you see, if I had won, she was going to have to buy me my next round that night. But I think she really wanted to go on a date. So she just whipped my ass. The intern could hear the pain in Covington's voice. Hey, man, let's do another shot. Let's take your mind off of things. Covington agreed and peered at the television in the corner of the bar. It was playing the local news. He turned to take a long gaze at the table where he and Bev had played dice. When the shots were poured, the bartender told Covington it was quite good to see him. While the bartender spoke, she purposely did nothing to mention Beverly's death, in turn making the entire situation uncomfortable for everyone. Covington and the intern knocked their shot glasses together and downed the whiskey. 
Progressively, those cheers got sloppier and sloppier the more shots they took. By the night's end, the intern was in the bathroom kneeling before the porcelain queen. Covington made sure to get the kid home safely by using a rideshare app on his phone. As for himself, a nice walk in the brisk, cool night seemed like the best bet. Turning up Garnett, he saw the sign for Rock Street on the next block. Two streets past that, and up the hill was his house. The house he once shared with Beverly. Our home, he thought. He looked at the sign for Rock and stopped. Flashes of blood and stone. That terrified face of hers. That cop calmly saying the words, Retrieve her with zero emotion. Out of the corner of his eye, he caught a reflection in the glass of the bakery where he stood. He knew not to acknowledge it. He was sure if he turned to look, he'd see her there waving him over to be with her. The slow vibration of his hand shaking with fear made it abundantly clear that he was going to turn and look at the glass anyway. Gradually inching his head towards the bakery, he closed his eyes. When he opened them, a blast of sound rattled the glass, and the eyes of the figure in the reflection glowed with the same hue as the LED headlamps he and Bev had used that day in the cave. You left me there to die. He covered his ears and began to cry as he watched the figure's face change from a distorted beast to Beverly's blood-stained scowl. The eyes still glowing that same hue. The voice still roaring. You left me there to die. He watched as the mouth opened and revealed stones for teeth. Covington shook. He could barely make out the figure any longer through his tears. In a sudden fit of fear, he began to run. As fast as he could, he sprinted home, climbing the porch stairs. He fumbled his keys, dropping them. He was scared to look behind him to see if Beverly had followed him home. He heard cackling from across the street. The burger joint was still alive with sound. That maniacal cackle sent shivers up his spine. It was her laugh again, this time in troves, doubling, tripling, growing louder as if a stadium-sized crowd of distorted beast-faced Beverly's were behind him laughing at his futile attempts to escape and find safety on the other side of that door. When he finally swung the door open, he collapsed onto the floor. Curled onto his side with his knees to his chest, he cried harder than he had in months. Over and over he kept pleading, Leave me alone. Leave me alone, please. Just leave me alone. The walls rattled and the floor rumbled as the voice filled the house. It was a whisper this time, but drowned out every other sound Covington could hear. Just like you left me alone. Terrified and deeply saddened, Covington gathered himself and stood. With anger in his voice, he yelled as loud as he could, I went to get you help. It was on the way. A quiet pause followed. The radio in the bathroom kicked on, and the voice came through the static. We could have gone together. Covington grew even more enraged and answered back calmly. <sighs> You're still such a pain in the ass even after dying. The radio fell silent, and the calm he had wanted, the safety of home, began to rush over him. He walked into the kitchen and peered out to the terrace, the bench, the flowers that had bloomed. He found himself oddly yearning to see Beverly sitting there, 
beckoning him with her hand rested on the wood beside her, but there was nothing. Just the low glow of the streetlights and the hum of the refrigerator behind him. The next day, the headache and stomach growls were enough for him to want to call out of work. All I have on the docket today is to call Mr. Latt. I can do that from home, he thought. He texted the intern. How you feeling, kid? The response had much more spunk than he had anticipated. Feel great. Picked up bagels and coffee. I'll see you in 30. Arrogance took over and Covington found himself not wanting to be upstaged by the receptionist boy. He pulled himself together and showered. He shaved for the first time since before Bev's death. He waited for her to make an appearance over the radio or in the mirror suddenly, causing him to slip with the razor and slice his neck open. But she was nowhere to be seen or heard. When he looked at himself clean-shaven, no longer were there sunken eyes in his face. No more shell of a man like he had witnessed before. He saw life behind his eyes for the first time in a long time. Bloodshot they may have been, but there was spirit in them. Fuck, this shit only happens when you drink, dude. It's all in your head. Tame it, he whispered to himself in the mirror. He walked back to the Fox Hollow and retrieved the Volvo, doing his best to ignore the sign for Rock Street. When he got to work, the intern handed him his coffee and bagel. Hey, uh, Mr. Latt is on line one. He called early. Oh, and make sure to drink that coffee before you talk to him. You're not going to like what he has to say. Covington raised an eyebrow and made a what-the-fuck face. He didn't use the company you advised him to use. Now he's worried that the structural integrity of the post system is, you know, not working out in the cave, the intern said as he chewed his bagel. Covington made another what-the-fuck face, but this time not inquisitively, angrily. Uh, so you wanted a cheaper price tag and found some sort of equivalent to like happy hour pricing at a restaurant? Come on, Mr. Latt, this is ultimately your call, ultimately... The check of yours, if that clears, ultimately your responsibility if a shoddy job results in an injury, or I mean even worse, a death. Covington tried not to sound pissed off, but had failed. Hey, Covington, I truly thought that these guys would do a good, you know, good job, but I found several loosened joints. If you maybe just come out and take a look, I will gladly pay you for your time and the company you have suggested to make the corrections done. Covington sighed. He looked up at the portfolio sitting on the shelf and fell quiet. Mr. Latt waited patiently on the other end for Covington's reply. <sighs> okay, I... It looks like I can come out Monday afternoon. Hold on while I pencil that into my calendar. He reached over to his drafting table and scrolled the word cave with the time marker of 2 p.m. All right, uh, Monday the 12th at 2. What? Covington fell silent after he said it. He looked down at the calendar and his heart sunk into his stomach. He hadn't thought of it and he scorned himself for not. A flash of blood and stone ran through his mind. Beverly, the cavern, the rock. He snapped back to reality when Mr. Latt said, all right, we'll uh, see you Monday at two. As the call went dead, he sat on his stool. The wheels creaked as he slowly rolled to the edge of the desk and pulled down the portfolio. Every now and again, his gaze would wander back to the calendar, fixating on the date and the word cave written into that box. 
no whiskey this weekend. You can't do this shit to yourself. It's the two-year anniversary, he said out loud to himself. Against his own will, Covington found himself at the Fox Hollow again Friday evening. This time, he made sure to take it easy. No chugging, he just sat and sipped, watching the news. A flood down south. A man saved a fox from being entangled in a farm fence. After a few drinks, he said goodbye to the intern, who was too engrossed in the attention of a young lady to care that he was leaving. On his way out, he stopped at the table where he lost that fateful dice game all those years ago. He smirked and said to himself, ah, fucking pain in the ass. The next morning, Covington was surprised at how rested he felt. He found himself going through the old routine he and Bev once had. He laced up some hiking boots, ones with wonderful ankle support, and drove himself to the lake. He sauntered up to a lookout that opened up to view the entire body of water. He watched as kids down below swam. He shielded his eyes from the sun while he watched a boat loaded with tourists cross from the north shore to the south shore. He remembered the time that Bev had suggested when they got married they should do it in this exact spot, then rent that boat for the reception. When he returned to town, he went to their favorite spot for lunch, yeah, the burger joint. He ordered himself a burger, almost ordering two like they once had when they ate together. He sat at the same table and felt guilty that he had not invited the intern along for the midday meal. That night, he sat and scrolled through all the streaming apps to find a movie to watch. He thought about how much Bev would have hated that. She'd have broken out Monopoly or Scrabble and they would have played until 3 in the morning. But somehow, she would have still been up at the crack of dawn making coffee and breakfast, annoying the shit out of him to get out of bed. They'd have showered together after breakfast, something she referred to as church. He remembered the first time she had called it that. Oh, man. This is like church, she had stuttered through, catching her breath. Covington inquisitively stared at her. I mean, come on, you said Christ so much when you came. You know, the coming of Christ. <laughs> she giggled. The memory faded and the movie he was watching came to a close. He meandered into the kitchen. Every night, he took to gazing out the window, hoping to see her sitting there without him. Tonight, he chose to remember all those nights they had spent on that bench, under that terrace, in the thick of all those vines and flowers. Recalling all the evenings during the summer, sipping on cocktails and cackling at each other's nerdy jokes. Sunday morning, he made the decision to go buy a $100 bottle of scotch. Something burned inside him to pay tribute to Bev. So he did exactly what they did the night before she had died. He sat on that bench all afternoon and talked to her as if she was there. When the sun went down, he thought about polishing the bottle off, but feared encountering a self-torturous haunting. The emotion got the best of him and he broke down into tears. Into wet palms, he muttered, You pain in the ass, I miss you so much. The wind around him went silent and he was ready to hear from her. Instead, there was nothingness that made him feel uneasy. He sat up straight and let his eyes wander from corner to corner of the yard. Angered by the fact that maybe he no longer was able to conjure her, he unscrewed the top of the bottle 
and gulped it down as fast as he could in one drink. The burn made him moan out loud. Through that moan, he stammered, Why, why, why will you not let me see you anymore? Another giant slurp of the firewater slid down his throat, this time more painful. Come out, I need to see you. The last few ounces went down with no pain, and when Covington tilted his head back to rest it on the back of the bench, he noticed the star-filled sky. His eyes welled, and they became very, very heavy. Monday morning, he found himself less out of sorts than he should have been for polishing off an entire bottle of scotch the night before. Regardless of how good he felt, a sense of dread poked at the back of his mind. Shaking off the unease, Covington went on with his morning like every other. He greeted the intern with comical banter, marking his workload for the week and making plans for lunch. He told the intern, Um... Today, you're going to have to go get lunch by yourself. I've got a a meeting with Mr. Latt, so I'm just going to leave an hour early and get lunch close to his place. The kid was less than excited, but mentioned he could ask the girl he had met at the Fox Hollow to lunch. Covington told him that he should absolutely do that and turned to ascend the stairs. He looked back over his shoulder at the kid and thought about how good of a friend he had become. He smirked at the thought of Beverly somehow knowing he would need a friend like that. That's probably why she pushed him to be so kind to the intern he used to refer to as receptionist boy. Finishing up a few sketches, he chose to waste some time scrolling on his phone, and when the clock hit one, he gathered his things to go meet Mr. Latt. On his way out, the portfolio caught his eye. I think today's the day. Today, you go away forever, he said as he backtracked across the office to pull it down off the shelf. When he got to the front desk, the kid was back from lunch. Hey, here. Covington tossed him the portfolio. Build that thing as your own one day. I'm ready to part with it. The kid stood up quickly. Dude, are you sure? Covington shook his head yes. Mm Mm-hmm. This is much better than me just tossing it into the trash. They exchanged a high five, and the kid asked, Uh, you coming back after your appointment with Mr. Latt? Covington winked at him. I wouldn't leave you here all alone, kid, now would I? He shot a finger gun at the intern as he opened the door with his back. Covington stopped at a diner a few minutes down the road from Mr. Latt's. He sat at the bar and stared at a bottle of bourbon on the shelf the entire time he ordered. Yeah, I'm going to have the chef's salad and maybe... As the server pulled the menu from his hands, he continued, Let's go ahead and get some of that bourbon on the rocks, please. And he pointed towards the bottle. Mr. Latt was waiting at the mailbox when Covington drove up. Hey, uh, let me get in with you. It's damn near a half mile up this drive before we get to my place, and it's a little bit further than that where the cave is. He said to Covington as he leaned down to address him through the open driver's side window. Yeah, come on, hop on in, Covington replied. Mr. Lack guided Covington up to the mouth of the cave, assuring him the Volvo would make it. Oh, it's just a bunch of dirt and dead grass up there anyway. Nothing to worry about, trust me. When they stood from either side of the car, Covington felt that same sense of dread from earlier in the day wash over him. Hmm, you know, Mr. Lat, it has been two years to the day since the last time... I stepped foot into a cave. Mr. Latt fell silent. He wasn't sure what an appropriate response would be. 
Covington decided to go ahead and break the silence for him. Oh, does the lighting system work? He asked. Oh yeah, it sure does. Looks great in there. The switch is right over there in that fancy breaker box you drew up. Mr. Lapp pointed towards the left side of the opening. Covington had sketched up a facade made from old wine barrels and horseshoes to hide the breakers for the lighting system. Oh, that's so cool. It looks exactly like the drawing. Covington chuckled. Oh, hell, shit, I forgot the hard hats. I have them down at the house. Give me five minutes and I'll be right back with them. Mr. Lat turned to walk down the hill after waving a few hand gestures. Covington nodded and shot him a thumbs up, letting Mr. Lat know it was just fine to wait. He watched as Mr. Lat slowly walked down the hill. Ah, fuck, old man's gonna take forever, Covington said as he opened the breaker box and snapped each handle into the on position. He peered into the cave and watched as all the Edison bulbs sparkled on. He was impressed with how the design had come to life. Mm, now let's go see what he's talking about these loose joints. Covington walked into the cave. He pulled his flashlight out and began inspecting each post. Fuck, every single one of these is loose, he whispered to himself. He scalded the non-present Mr. Lat for hiring the company that he had hired and not the one Covington himself had suggested. A cool breeze danced over the stone surface and caused the bulbs to sway. They flickered. Shit, I better get out of here. I've seen enough. I know what needs to be fixed, Covington muttered to himself. But slowly it dawned on him. He squinted and took a much more intrepid, objective look. Oh, shit, he muttered. As his gaze returned from the post joints at the top of the cave to the massive wooden table adorned with a chandelier above, he saw someone standing in the back corner. She stepped into the light and smiled. It was Bev. The Edison bulbs popped, flickered, and went dark. The snap of wood cracking and the howl of steel bending filled the cave. Covington looked up to see debris falling from the beam given off by his flashlight. His heart pounded and his stomach knotted with fear. Then the voice he had been yearning to hear the night before whispered, Don't worry, I won't leave you alone. He turned to see Bev next to him. He instantly felt at ease, stomach loosening, and flashes of them together the night before she died rushed in. He smiled at her. She smiled back, slowly revealing a mouth full of stones. Bloody, covered, beady, sharp rocks. As her mouth opened wider and her face distorted into the beast, a deafening scream pierced the air. The walls shook and the floor under his feet rumbled. Then all went silent and the air was calm. In the few seconds before he was no more, Covington knew he had designed the cave structure to be flawed. He closed his eyes and let out a sigh of relief as the rock, wood, and steel imploded upon him. Mr. Lat was correct. The workers had done exactly what was scrolled meticulously onto the blueprints. The blueprints Covington knew would call him back in time to the same mountain where all of his pain began, the same mountain where it had to end once and for all. Part four, now, elsewhere. The intern sat on a stool at the Fox Hollow. 
he had a shot of whiskey sitting in front of him. Next to the shot glass was the portfolio Covington had handed him the day before. The shot of cheap bourbon burned as it slid down his throat and exploded into his stomach. He moaned out loud and asked for another. The pages of the portfolio rustled as he opened it slowly. Peering at the intricate plans for the mid-century modern home that had been mocked up by his mentor made him sad beyond any darkness he had ever felt before. The last entry had schematics of the cave. The intern perused the intricate work, looking for any mistakes. And there in the joints, conjoining the brunt of the support beams, was the mistake he so yearned to see. But oddly, beside it was an equation. And the answer to that mathematical series of numbers was a period of time. The exact amount of time it would take for the beams to collapse. What? He designed it that way? He knew the old man would call him. He knew. He knew. The intern mumbled to himself. The barkeep said, Probably why he gave you the book. He knew he wasn't coming back. When the intern looked up to engage her, there was no one standing there. She was at the opposite end of the bar pouring drinks for a crowd at the front. He looked back to the book. The pages became blurry as his eyes filled with tears. He slammed the book closed, hailed the barkeep, and took the next shot, ordering another as he did so. Keep him coming, he moaned. In the corner, dimly lighting the dive bar he had come to love to visit with Covington, the nightly news was playing. In a staggering and truly odd turn of events, a local architect was subject to a horrific accident yesterday afternoon. In a cave, two years to the day that his fiancée succumbed to the same fate. Also in a cave, just the same, but on exact opposite sides of the same mountain. The intern reeled himself in, drank a few glasses of water, and decided to go for a walk. A burger sounded good to him, he thought. As he stumbled towards the neon sign, in the distance a familiar voice came fluttering from the hillside. Through the leaves he heard, It wasn't her. It wasn't her. He stopped and turned towards where he thought the voice was coming from. There in the distance he saw him. He held the bag with the portfolio in it close to his chest. The man stepped into the light. The bag hit the sidewalk with a soft thud, and words fluttered around the kid's head again. It was never her. It was never her. It was never her. The syllables pulsing as if they had traveled thousands of miles for him to hear them. He snatched up the bag and turned to run. In every window he passed, he saw the man's reflection. It can't be you! It cannot be you! The kid yelled into the air as he got closer to the burger joint, crisp neon beckoning him. When he entered, hearing the bell ring as the door closed behind him, a sense of ease came over him. He hopefully assumed whatever it was that he had seen and heard was nothing more than emotion mixed with a high blood alcohol level. Burger acquired ketchup spurted into a little white cup and steam rising from a pile of fries the sound of the chair being slid back and the soft hum of the music people laughing people joking all these things made him feel safe he knew he had felt true fear but not from what he had just seen and heard there was something deeper inside himself it had been Covington's voice, he was sure of it. It was his face, his stature, on that hillside. But fear isn't always accompanied with danger. 
a first kiss, opening a college admissions letter, drawing up drafts on your first project. All these exciting things come with a sense of doom. I ran because I was afraid he would be real, but maybe I was running from what he was telling me, the kid thought. He knocked over his styrofoam cup. The people around him giggled. One man whispered to his wife, you can smell it on him, that poor drunk bastard. Embarrassed, the kid rose and threw the remnants of his tray into the trash. The bell dinged as he departed. A burst of cool late night air washed over his cheeks. The dead of night was quiet, soothing. In the distance, there was a low rumble. The kid clenched the bag tightly, upped the collar on his coat and around his neck. Slowly, he turned. With gale force power, a voice filled the silence. It was not her. It was never her. It was always inside of me. Do not let it consume you. He closed his eyes and sank to his knees. Whimpering under his breath, he pleaded for the voice to stop. He took a few hefty deep breaths. The night fell silent. Readying himself, he rose to his feet and returned to where his car was parked. The food had definitely aided in his wariness, just like he had hoped. The keys in his hand were held firmly, not shaking. The eerie howls of a dead man no longer swirling around him. He went home. He rested. He mourned his friend and his mentor. Something came over him the following morning. Standing from his bedside, a fear overcame his being, and he shook. That tingling angst which comes with big change. Before the first kiss, before drafting up his first project, before an illegal U-turn in the dead of night. He couldn't explain it, nor had the urge to have it explained. He knew it was something that needed to happen, something he truly wanted to happen. He snatched the bottle of bourbon from his dresser and walked to the kitchen. Watching as the amber liquid swirled its way down the drain, his shoulders felt lighter, his mind felt clearer. He knew it would be hard at first, but the challenge was welcomed. No more shots of whiskey, no more cocktails, not one ounce of that mind-debilitating ooze would be consumed. He peered over and saw the portfolio on the table, the worn leather covering lit up by the sunlight creeping in through the blinds. The empty bottle of bourbon crumbled the various plastics and papers in the recycling bin as it fell from his hand. This week's episode was tracked, scored, mixed, and mastered at the Great Divide Den. I thank you for listening, and once again... I look forward to seeing you next week for another case of the Hebe Jeebies. Jeebies.